Hello and welcome to the Lebanon Filter Podcast, a podcast aimed at bringing you what is happening in Lebanon, no filter. My name is George Schwede and this is the second episode now of what we hope to be, again, many talk sessions in English about Lebanon, the who, what, when, why and where, all those W's. Uh, joining me today, again, I'm glad to say that uh, Joe and Ed have joined us. We've got a newcomer to the show, Labib, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, George. No worries, Hi, everyone. Today, boys. Hey, guys. They're there. Looking forward to today. It's been a big week in Lebanon. It I want has to catch been. up on. And, um, you know, we, we had a quick review, didn't we? And we spoke about all these things we want to talk about. But if Lebanon keeps going the way it is, we're never going to get to them because there's always something happening and we want to stay topical, of course. Today, what we're going to talk about, boys, is the French Initiative. Everyone remembers when Macron came to Lebanon, pretty much sat everyone down like there were... Uh, a school, little school child, and said, "This is what's going to happen, guys." Out of that, we got a, we got a prime minister, Mustafa Adib, and who has recently resigned. So that's 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 uh, they're the they're the two things we want to start off with the French Initiative and uh, the prime minister Mustafa Adib, or the ex prime minister now who has resigned. Also, there's uh, unfortunately we've had two Lebanese martyred soldiers this week uh, killed by terrorists in Minya. On the 27th of September, we want to offer our condolences and prayers to the families of those soldiers and um, thank them for the ultimate sacrifice of our country. Uh, they were Muhammad Nashad and Ahmad Sa'ad, and I hope I'm getting their names right. Um, there was also, a couple of weeks back, um, the same condolences we give as well to four Lebanese soldiers killed while trying to capture a terrorist in Bedewi, in Tripoli, 13th of September that was. And they were Nuhad Mustafa Sharbil Jbaili, Lu'ay Melhem, I hope I'm saying that name right, and Anthony Tatla. And the reason why we uh, mention them is it goes into our next topic for the day as well, which are the attacks on the Lebanese army and the prison pardoning, which being is a hot topic at the moment too, the pardonings from prison. So um, I'm going to open up to you guys now the French initiative and I guess uh, the resignation of the prime minister as well. I'm not sure who wants to go, to go first. Far away, um, I'll, I'll step in if you don't mind, George. Yeah, far um, away. Let, let, let the guys know what's happening. Well, look, I think originally the French initiative came about after the August 4 explosion of Beirut's port. And um, like any other country, I'm sure what they say in the media, uh, France has been obviously, uh, we were under a French colonial system for a while. Uh, they call it Imel Hanouni, which is, um, you know, the Diamada. But... Um, everybody's in it for themselves. So the French obviously invested a lot in the oil and gas exploration in Lebanon, and they don't want to see that uh, squandered. Uh, to, in, you know, it's in the hundreds of billions. So this is what, why you know, the French president came in. Uh, the French initiative was based on forming a new government. Uh, there'd be $11 billion in aid and funding unlocked uh, to assist the, uh, you know, the Lebanese government, but they had to immediately implement reforms. Um, now, Mustafa Adib uh, came about from that. Uh, he was a little-known diplomat from Germany, Lebanese ambassador there, but he was also the chief of staff or the um, general manager of Najib Mi'ez's office, the, the previous uh, prime minister. And um, I'll just, if you don't mind, I'll make a you know, sort of a clarification. At no point was Mustafa Adib the prime minister. He's the prime minister designate. Um, yes, sure. Hassan Adib is still the prime minister in a caretaker capacity. Once the prime minister designate forms a government and he gets confidence in parliament, that's when the handover happens. So now we're still 
uh, with the previous uh, Prime Minister Hassan Diab's uh, um, government, but in a caretaker capacity. Yeah, thanks, Nabil, for that. Uh, Joe, I know you want to jump in, mate. Yes, so again, why the French? We all know the historic, historical relationship uh, with General Gouraud declaring the Great Lebanon in 1920, which is on the 1st of September. And that was the reason why President Macron uh, chose to visit Lebanon for the second time in a respectively short period. We know that Lebanon was under the French mandate as well. And um, as we know, France is quite concerned about the Turkish influence and the Turkish rise in the Middle East. Um, and that's why they wanted to play a, a bigger role and book themselves a seat on the table uh, in the Middle East between Turkey, uh, Saudi Arabia, Russia and America. Now, with the French initiative, if we all remember, uh, right after Macron visited Lebanon, uh, David Schenker from the US also visited, who is the Assistant Secretary of State for Near Eastern Affairs. And um, what is happening in the background is that United States um, has basically worked with France uh, on, on that initiative, but has also worked with their current local allies, so which is, we, we saw the rise of the club of the ex-prime ministers. Um, so we, we had two channels there, one being negotiated uh, through Mustafa Adib, the designated prime minister, uh, and the other one is Hariri, uh, the ex-Prime Minister, along with Najib Mi'ati and Fuad Sanyura, who are all part of the club of uh, the previous Prime Ministers. And we, we saw kind of like an American influence to try to corner the, the Shia, Biri and Hezbollah into accepting some terms. So uh, the initial initiative came under the title of uh, Gouvernement de Mission in French or in English, Government of Mission, with a specific mission of political financial reforms uh, in the banking sector, in the electricity. And President Macron was really uh, clear to start with to steer away from all the problems that uh, the political problems that Lebanon is currently facing through the disarmament of uh, Hezbollah or and near election, electoral elections. And he clearly said uh, in the 1st of September that we do not want to um, worry about these issues now. Let's focus on what, uh, how we can reform the country and get you back on your feet. So can France so be able to, to help you out? So this is initially what uh, the French initi initiative started as and um, unfortunately ended uh, as many say that it has ended. Some, some people has still some hope uh, of some certain re re revival um, with the, but has ended with the resignation of uh, Mustafa Ed, I'll let you jump in there. Yeah, no, George, that's a, a good background on the, the international context, uh, the conflict that we see in Lebanon. But there are some internal actions that have really resulted in the disagreement on the ground. And what I've observed is uh, the main block was initiated when the four former prime ministers of Lebanon, who come from the Sunni sect, who are a minority of the, uh, if you want to call them the opposition of the government. So they're a minority of the minority of members of parliament. Uh, they formed a, a, a group, and just to name them, it's Saad Hariri, Fuad Sanyora, 
Tamam Salam, and Najib Mihati. Uh, three of them billionaires in their own right. A strong history of corruption, amongst other things. Um, uh, they they decided to form a group and have a very active say in the formation, uh, the request for a new formation for the government. So a couple of a couple of things uh, changed radically from previous uh, government formations. Typically, uh, once the once the prime minister uh, delegate um, is nominated, uh, the process is that they will speak to the parties that form the majority of the parliament to, to lobby support, uh, to agree on, on what type of ministries and how they're going to split them, who gets what. Um, and, and essentially that process is to win their confidence so that when they push the, um, the ministers and the government forward, that they'll have the support of the members of parliament. Uh, and very important to note is uh, after 1990, when the Taif Court was brought into place, essentially all the powers of the president were lost. And the one remaining, uh, I guess, authority for the president was that the president has uh, a role in the formation of the new government. What we saw take place in the last week was a, a, a complete break from uh, the processes and the agreements of Taif. Um, we saw a, a nominated prime minister, uh, prime minister uh, Mustafa Adib, being nominate, nominated, but really the formation of the government was being uh, imposed by uh, a group of four uh, former prime ministers from the Sunni sect. Now we saw uh, the conflict take place initially when they 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 put forward their names. Um, on, on different ministries. And as that discussion was taking place, Harakat uh, Amal uh, and Hizb Allah, who represent the Shiite majority in the parliament, uh, just opposed that whole um, logic. Uh, and so did most all the other parliamentarians opposed that. Um, and then we saw it really accelerate when they, they wanted to name the finance ministry. Um, on their behalf, and then they wanted to take away the finance ministry from the Shiite sect, which perhaps is a, a fair request, but the, the logic that these four highly politicized and um, uh, poorly represented uh, people on the global level scale have the right to nominate the whole government without the participation of the, of the parties that were elected by the people uh, that kind of logic is doomed for failure. Uh, I see that as the root cause of of why internally um, we weren't be, we weren't able to come to an agreement on the formation of the government. Okay, thanks, Ed. Uh, Joe, you want to add something to that? Yes. Uh, so just on on the formation of the government as well. Uh, the the main issue is uh, the rotation, the sectarian rotation of the in the main ministries. So we know we have four main uh, ministries in the Lebanese cabinet, which are the, the Ministry of Defense, the Ministry of the Interior, the Ministry of Finance, and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs or Department of State. Um, as per the Lebanese uh, Taif agreement, two of these ministries are given to Christians, 
one for the Maronites, one for the Greek Orthodox, and two are for the Muslims, one for the Sunnis and one for the Shia. In the early years, Rafiq Hariri had uh, the Ministry of Finance because he wanted to build the momentum uh, of uh, rebuilding the country and the new building the new reforms in the 90s. But then after 2009, basically, the, the Shia stepped in and uh, had the Ministry of Finance for a while. Now, what Adib said, and in the background, the French and the Americans are saying, we want rotation, we want the sectarian rotation. You've had the Ministry of Finance for a while. We need to rotate that. And again, you don't have the right to name the minister because we want someone who's neutral. We want someone named by Adib and in the background, the club of the previous or former prime ministers. So the Shia, Birri and Hezbollah said, well, that's basically not going to happen because we are the majority and we have the right to name the person. And they actually took it towards a more of a sectarian discussion because uh, they mentioned that the Ministry of Finance is represents a major uh, uh, point and a signature for the Shia, part, Shia sect. And they need that signature in the cabinet to oppose or um, stand against any... Um, any law or a decision that doesn't favor them. So I just want to take a step back and, and say that I believe that the American were able to play a really smart uh, and sneaked into the Lebanese um, uh, scenery through the French and through the, the club of the former prime ministers by cornering Hezbollah and Amal and saying, if Adib manages to get the rotation and, and name the, uh, the name of the, the minister, he'll be able to push Hezbollah sort of outside the government. And if he doesn't and fails, which where we are now, it sort of creates a public opinion against Berre and Hezbollah by opposing the solution and opposing the, 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 the saving plan of Lebanon. And everyone would be looking at them. So I, I feel like it's, um, it's been a really a smart game uh, played on an international level um, and to, to buy some time uh, until the American elections where everyone's saying that we believe that there's not going to be a government in Lebanon until we know who's going to be the next uh, president-elect in the U.S. Mm. Thank you. Great, great summary, Joe. Thanks for your opinion. It does sort of reach back to what we spoke about quickly uh, in our first episode about the finance ministry and why it is so important. Correct me if I'm wrong. Basically, the finance ministry has to sign off on anything to pass in parliament. Um, maybe I'll let Labib help me on that one. He wants to speak uh, next. Um, but uh, finance ministry has to, has to uh, sign um, and, they're, and they're asking for rotation for the finance ministry. However, the other two signatories... The prime minister uh, and the uh, and the president are already designated uh, from a sectarian point of view in the sense that it's Christian and it's Sunni, and that has to be the case. So if we rotate the finance ministry, the objection there is that the Shiite, if it's not on their rotation, do not get a say when it comes to uh, to uh, passing policy or objecting or anything like that. Am I am I right there, guys? Just for uh, everyone to, be clear. to a certain extent. Yeah. No, no. To a certain extent, yes. The Constitution states that um, if an initiative, a law, or something through the executive branch is going to pass, it needs to obviously a vote in the Council of Ministers. 
then it needs to be signed off on by the president, the prime minister, and the, um, and the corresponding minister. Now, what does the corresponding minister mean? For example, if you want to build a dam and um, you know, the government signs off on it, the prime minister will sign it, the president will sign it, the, um, the, manager for, uh, the, the minister for energy and resources has to sign it because it's but his portfolio, but the finance minister has to sign it because he's gonna pay for it. So any decision the government makes, no matter what it is, if it's building a road, then it's going to be president, prime minister, minister of transport and the finance minister. If it's building a new hospital, it's gonna be prime minister, president, health minister and finance minister. So uh, the constitution states those, those stakeholder ministers have to sign. Um, so straight away, uh, the finance minister has to be involved in, in every step of the way. Now, for the Shiite community to say that, um, you know, they should have a say in it, well, that's a bit rich. Uh, and I'll explain why. Uh, throughout the 90s, you had, uh, obviously, Rafi Hariri, you had the finance ministry, you had George Urum, who was a Maronite, Elias Seba, who was an Orthodox. Even as recently as uh, not long ago, you had Dreyal Hassan, who was a Sunni. It wasn't until really 2014 that... Uh, we had a Shia finance minister, which is fine. Uh, you know, I believe in a, in a rotation, but uh, it's one, the conduct of this particular finance minister, Ali Hassan Khalil, who stopped just about every reformist project there was from funding electricity plants, from uh, funding dams. It became political spite. And obviously they had their calculations. They've got their interests because if, um, if they sign off on the electricity plants and Lebanon gets 24-hour electricity, then people like, uh, you know, like Ali Hassan Khalil and those behind him are going to lose out because they make a killing from the generator trade. Um, so I do believe that there should be a rotation, and there has been a rotation in the past. And this is the Taif Agreement. Now, if they're not happy with it, they shouldn't have agreed to the Taif Agreement 30 years ago. <laughs> you know, Michel Aoun went into exile. The president went into exile for 15 years because he disagreed with it, but they went ahead with it anyway. Um, you can't agree to something 30 years ago, then wake up one day and realize, no, the last six years are pretty much like I want it. Considering that the Speaker of the House is a Shiite and they control the legislative agenda. So what they're pretty much saying, it's a bit of a power grab that, you know, we fought tooth and nail for the Taif Agreement that stripped the powers of the presidency, put them in the Council of Ministers. We're running the show and the legislative agenda. Now we also want a piece of the executive, um, executive branch. It's, you know, it's a bit rich to begin with. Um, and, and sort of going back to the government formation and how it failed, I believe that Hadira and the gang, uh, or the gang of four previous prime ministers that both Eddie and Joe mentioned, I think they went out of their way to burn Mustafa Adib and intentionally have him fail. Uh, like they did with Hassan Adib, the caretaker prime minister. First of all, they don't want to have a strong Sunni personality that gets results. Um, not only would this Sony personality outshine them, but it'll also, it'll, his success will contrast their failures. And the remainder of the ruling class, like Jean Blatt, Birri, as I mentioned before, Hadidi, Jaja, all of them, um, they don't want a new government. They don't want reforms. They cannot adapt to the new Lebanon that is coming. And they're going to try to stall and stall and stall. And by four Sunni figures, very controversial Sunni figures that are ex-prime ministers, uh, getting up and saying, we want to take the finance ministry away from the Shia, 
all of a sudden, even if the Shia wanted to let go of the finance ministry, now they can't. They've been put in a situation where they can't. So it's almost as if it's intentional. Um, they're asking for it so the Shia can then turn around and say, no, we won't give it up now because of the way you're asking. And all of a sudden, um, government for, attempts at government formation fail, which indeed they did, as you could see, George. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate all the background, boys. Uh, and it's interesting because talking about uh, uh, rotation and all this sort of stuff, because I know recently there's been a, a strong push uh, by certain uh, uh, parties for a civil state. Um, I don't want to go into it too much today. It's almost something, uh, you know, it could have an episode on it on its own and how it may affect Lebanon. Um, I'll let Joe jump in to, to talk further uh, um, in regards to what we've just been talking about. But yeah, it, to me, it sounds like the push for civil state uh, would be disrupting a lot of these guys uh, and what they've been able to do historically. And that's what, is that, I believe that's what you're saying there, Labir. Just trying to make it clear for our audience, that's all. Yeah, and, and look, if, if the audience don't have a bit of a background, um, uh, Lebanon has 128 members of parliament, 64 Christian, 64 Muslim. Mm -hmm. uh, cabinet, uh, the government is formed, um, and it should usually 50-50. If it's a 24-man government, it's 12 Christian, uh, for, uh, 12 Muslim ministers, or if it's 30, 15 by 15. Uh, the president's a Christian, a Maronite. Uh, the prime minister's a, a Sunni Muslim. The speaker of the house is a Shiite Muslim. Commander of the army is a Christian. Deputy prime minister is, is Orthodox. And as you can see, sort of, it's quite a complicated way of trying to appease all the different uh, Lebanon's 18 different sects by giving them all a piece of the pie. Very messy. And uh, I don't know, the, yeah, you can see automatically just uh, from that short description how, how it's obviously messy. And it's not about necessarily best man for the job because you've got, a, you've got that power sharing model. Joe, you want to add something there? Yes, just wanted to highlight um, the two initiatives that uh, President Michel Aoun uh, uh, mentioned in the last couple of weeks, and they didn't really get a lot of traction in the media. The first one being um, the 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 sec not uh, going away from the sectarian state into a civil state, and not having a, a super religious group and a normal religious group by having the rotation of the ministries. Um, beyond the Shia and the Sunnis and the Maronites and the Greek Orthodox, because we're all uh, Lebanese and we all should have Lebanon's best interests in mind. Um, with that said, also the, the, the president uh, had an, another initiative um, which was discussed behind the scenes with, uh, with Hezbollah uh, when he offered to basically take on board the Ministry of Finance, being a strong ally to Hezbollah. And um, there's a mutual trust between the two parties to try to um, get beyond that roadblock and, and uh, form the government, and, uh, which is basically the, the request of everyone. The president has suggested uh, to take the Ministry of Finance on board, but unfortunately that was a missed opportunity and uh, the suggestion wasn't taken into consideration. So that's one thing I feel like we might uh, look back uh, one day and say, if we actually did that, that would have saved the country a lot of turmoil. Mm, everyone's a genius in um, hindsight. Um, and well, they're also a genius uh, with vision. Like if, if you look at um, President Owen, when he was the caretaker prime minister in, in you know, 88, 90, he pretty much predicted the problems we were going to run into now. Uh, when he came back from exile, in 2005, 
um, his, 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 the first thing he said was change and reform. And the, and the name of his block was the change and reform block. He saw where we were coming and he, he realized what we were happening, you know, what was happening. And, you know, the financial problems that, that Lebanon has, obviously, and I'm sure you've mentioned it in, in, the, in previous episodes, is the institutionalized corruption that has come about uh, from the last 30 years. And, and, and look, this is where I sort of supported the French initiative in a way that um, they're saying Lebanon's running out of money. Uh, for us to unlock these funds to help uh, Lebanon's economy start moving again, uh, some serious reform needs to be implemented immediately. And I, I, look, I agree. And, and, you know, we've been saying for years that, you know, slowly but surely the old political ruling class needs to let go um, and let the reformists do their work. But something interesting about the French initiative and this 11 billion, um, and I'm going to throw a bit of figures here because it's not just the French, it's the Americans, etc. cetera. Um, everybody damn well knows that since the protests occurred last October, 25 billion was transferred out of Lebanon into foreign bank accounts um, by the banking cartel and by the corrupt political ruling class. And within that 25 billion are all the bank deposits of the everyday Joe, um, you know, trying to get by in Lebanon. Now, with all the international and monetary restrictions and laws that we have, are you trying to tell me that these world powers don't know what was transferred, who transferred it and when? If they were able just to help us seize that and give it back to us, we wouldn't need to beg for $11 billion of aid when there's $25 billion of our own money out there. Um, you know, that's, uh, to me, that's, that's a very, very important point. And, you know, we're throwing around the word billions, but just a few days ago, um, David Hale, the, the Under Secretary of State uh, for, uh, in the United States and former Lebanese ambassador, got up and he said that over the years, the United States has given $10 billion to Lebanon's armed forces and to NGOs for humanitarian and economic development. Now, out of all of that, I think 1.7 went to a billion went to the army. The other 8.3 billion has gone to these, you know, mysteriously well-funded NGOs that, um, you know, whose sole job is to actually cause destabilization and um, and and street protests. And um, look, the traditional spy these days that we have, it's a new form of influence. It's uh, no longer wears a trench coat and glasses and a fedora hat, uh, but rather they produce personalities to influence public opinion and uh, affect the politics of the country. Even Hillary Clinton in her own book um, pretty much said they trained 5,000 operatives just on social media to try to attack Iran, let alone what they're doing on the ground there. Um, and that's no different to what's happening in Lebanon and other Arab countries. The tragedy is though, that those, the funding is coming from other Arab countries so the West is getting paid to train people to implement its agenda. And those that are paying are the ones that will be most affected by the agenda. So I'm not really sure if this is a, <laughs> a, testament, to, a testament to American genius or Arab stupidity. I'm not sure. I'll leave that to you, George. <laughs> well, I'm going to leave that to the audience. That's what it's about. We put things down <laughs> on the table and uh, uh, let them make an opinion. But um, it's definitely messy. We've got, a, we've got a TARF agreement, which uh, requires power sharing, uh, creating an immediate mess from day one. Uh, what you just spoke about, another mess. And that's why I guess Lebanon's in the mess it is now. Um, 
I'm going to move on, guys, to the next topic. Thank you very much for your valued uh, input there. Thanks to the listeners for sticking around. We'll be back after a short break. Another thing, as I mentioned at the top of the show, that happened during the week, I'm going to amalgamate these two things, I think they relate, was unfortunately we had the two uh, martyred Lebanese soldiers killed by terrorists. I'll mention their names again, Muhammad uh, Nashad and Ahmad Sa'ad, I want to thank them for their uh, ultimate sacrifice to the country. And I'm going to marry that in with uh, the prison pardoning, which is again uh, causing conflict. Some people want it, some people don't. Who's going to tell me why? Maybe we'll start with, uh, I'll go with Ed. I think, George, um, uh, just so our listeners know, like the names that you mentioned, the martyrs from the Lebanese army, they come from the Christians and the Muslims. And whilst we've discussed some um, internal disagreements on how they split power, when you have these very sad events where the Lebanese population, the Lebanese army, the Lebanese institutes, the Lebanese banking sector, the Lebanese population are attacked, all the Lebanese population are suffering, whether it's Muslim or whether it's Christian. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate that we have to have these sad reminders that in the end, Lebanon's one nation and people will live through the good times and they'll suffer through the bad times together. Very well uh, said. The, the, event, the, the recent event in the north of Lebanon, I don't think it's a coincidence, the timing. Like Labib mentioned, there is always in Lebanon an internal and an international aspect to all the activities that we see take part in the ground. And there are parties in Lebanon that are known to have a direct affiliation with foreign powers. Uh, Labib touched on the reasons why the French initiated failed. And I'll just add a little bit further to that. And I, I think Saudi Arabia had a, a very uh, large part to play in the influence on the four former prime ministers and also in the recent terrorist attack in the north of Lebanon, where for the first time for a while, we've seen these terrorist groups under different names, but with all the same Wahhabi ideology come back into the play in Lebanon. And it, it appears to be when the Saudi influence want to put pressure on the ground on the other forces in the country, that they stir up trouble, in simple words. So that's with regards to the timing of the terrorist attack to, against the Lebanese army. With regards to the prison pardon, that's something which is of concern because I think to, to loop the prison pardon as a, as a larger context with a pardon for the terrorist is unjust. And I, I think we can talk a little bit more about what's included in the prison pardon but a prison pardon itself is more is, is not necessarily a bad thing in Lebanon because of the way the judiciary is over there. There's a huge delay in the um, the sentencing of convicted people, and in some cases, the convictions of these people, if they were found guilty, may have been less of the time that it, they've been sentenced in jail waiting for their trial. So, so sorry, uh, that, I'm going to jump that, in there, Ed. Is that okay? I just want to explain that one to, to the people listening. You're saying 
They've been sitting in jail waiting for trial, certain people, uh, depending on their misdemeanor, what they've done or their crime. But we've almost reached the point because of the buildup in cases that the time they've already sat in jail is quite possibly longer than they would have, what they would have been sentenced anyway had they been found guilty. Is that what you're saying? That's 100% right, George. And, and, and some of the crimes, uh, at least in the Western world, would be considered quite petty. You know, minor marijuana dealing. They might, they might have been caught by the security forces and be waiting trial and they could be in jail for several years. Which in, you know, um, I mean, marijuana uh, growing or dealing or something like that on a small level or anyway. Even, even on a small level, we're not talking about large farms. We're talking about a guy on the street with a, a bag selling to someone else. Mm. He gets caught by the security forces and he finds himself waiting trials and sitting for several years in jail. Which, you know, generally, uh, if he was going to be convicted, would uh, probably not even be. Might be a six-month yeah. six sentence. The idea of the prison pardon is to loosen the burden on the, on the broader system. Yep. Now, the issue that I see is to say that all criminals are in the same boat and no matter what the crime we're pardoning, that's a fundamental problem. And that's where, you know, there are some forces in Lebanon who, who disagree with this. And the reason why it hasn't been recently approved was because one major political party in Lebanon, the Free Patriot, Patriotic Movement, which is one of the most popular uh, political forces on the ground, has the largest uh, block in the parliament, I think just under 30 members of parliament, are strongly opposed to any pardon of terrorists who have attacked the Lebanese army or the civilian population. Unfortunately, there are groups that continue to try lobby for the pardoning of these terrorists. Um, the Future Movement is one of those groups and uh, Najib Miati and the Tamim Salem and the, the other coalition from Tripoli are, are part of that group as well. I've spoken a bit too much, but I'll, I'll just finish on one point. What we've learned in Lebanon is when you pardon these criminals, the Lebanese population will pay and there's always blood to follow. A lot of these prisoners, these so-called terrorists that are being, um, you know, the political forces are requesting to pardon them for sectarian reasons, have demonstrated in the past their intent to commit the same crimes again. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's something that we could further discuss with the other guys. Sure. Uh, let's go to one of those other guys. Um, Joe, uh, uh, Ed's given a bit, of a, uh, a bit of a rundown there on, you know, the prison pardon and, and whatnot. Is anything missing there? Anything you want to add? Um, just quickly, uh, whenever there's something happening, you, you see a story being developed in the media. And the story in the media is the humanitarian perspective, the humanitarian angle, because the prisons are overcrowded and a lot of these people, as Ed mentioned, were not convicted and have overstayed there. And there's always a, a deeper story uh, about the people and the chosen people to be released. If, if you go into details, um, it's really very disappointing because I've uh, read in a couple of articles that uh, the future movement was even asking for people that were um, in Abra, like the Ahmad, Ahmad Lassir group, who actually were the reason why several army uh, members lost their lives to be released as part of that uh, pardon. So this is what the, the Free Patriotic Movement was uh, standing firmly against. Now, if you run the numbers, I might be wrong here, I'm only speculating, but 
the Lebanese forces have said that they're not going to be joining the parliament meeting today, so that, that will actually take initiative or take action on, on the pardon. If you run the numbers, the future movement is pro the pardon, and um, Berry and Jumblat are sort of pro because of the, uh, the sectarian background of it. Now Hezbollah is, is sitting on the fence. And like I've, I've only read uh, 15 minutes ago that Berre chose to postpone any decision to be made on that. So maybe I'm hoping that this is uh, an initiative from an astute political uh, leader to um, reach out, reach towards um, the free patriotic movement and try to have a lot of background discussions uh, um, away from uh, any problem that potentially will be created in the parliament today. So thank you. Sure, no worries, thank you. Labib, I hope you're there. I have a question. I'm going to use Labib's. We've got, a, we've got a situation now where something is going to be passed in Parliament, and I think this will be beneficial to those who are listening. My question is, given the back, quick background that you gave, 128 seats in Parliament, half Christian, half Muslim, all from different sects and whatnot, for something like this to pass, and given what Joe's just said about for example, Lebanese forces not attending today's meeting, meaning that essentially that they're not going to vote or they won't get, this initiative won't get vote. Uh, how many people do we need to vote yes for something like this to pass in Parliament? Well, George, there are usually two kinds of laws here. Um, there's sort of the normal everyday laws that just need a simple majority, 65 out of 128, so 64 plus 1, um, and others that need two-thirds, which is 86. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. It's still, they haven't submitted the law yet. And the, um, they haven't submitted the, I guess, the constitutional art articles that underpin this law to know what it's going to, and which way it's going to fall. Is it a simple majority or a two thirds? But um, I think the fact that the Lebanese forces block uh, is against it. And the fact that the free patriotic movement and their strong Lebanon block, which is the largest block in parliament, have threatened to boycott as well. This is what I think forced uh, Parliament Speaker Nabih Birli now to postpone this discussion and designate a committee to further explore it. And um, as both Joe and Eddie mentioned that really there are two kinds of prisoners here. One that have had either, you know, minor felonies or, or misdemeanors or that have been actually accused and are, are genuinely innocent. And they've just languished in these prisons for years because the judiciary is slow, and if they were guilty, they've already spent more time than they would have been, you know, sentenced. And then there's also genuine people that should remain, rapists, murderers, those who attack the Lebanese army and the armed forces. And um, obviously for electoral reasons, and, 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 you know, Eddie mentioned before that, you know, they've pretty much said that, you know, everything has got an internal, local angle and an international angle. So from an internal local angle, the future movement coming from a Sunni base are going to want to say, look, we're pardoning all these Sunnis, irrespective of the fact whether they're terrorists or not. And, you know, we found that the terrorists or, you know, and the ISIS of the world, they're actually hurt and kill more Sunnis than anyone else. That's mm -hmm. sort of one way. The other way as well is an international flavor, which Lebanon always seems to have, is that international forces sometimes need these military groups on the ground to put, you know, to create trouble and to pressure the government or to use them as a card. And, and you know, history has time, shown time and time again 
that every terrorist group that has been pardoned keeps coming back and attacking the Lebanese army. Now, I'll take you guys back 20 years ago to the, the New Year incident. New Year's Eve, the New Year, North Lebanon, an Al-Qaeda-affiliated group attacked the Lebanese army. Uh, at the time, President Amir Lahoud sent in the army. He rounded them up. They got imprisoned. Come 2005, post-Rafiq Hariri assassination, a pardon deal was worked out where Samir Jaja would come out of jail after 11 years, but in return, these same Al-Qaeda-affiliated terrorists were also going to be pardoned as well. And I use the word pardoned because they were, neither of them were actually found innocent, but they were just pardoned for crimes they'd been convicted of. And um, if we know anything at all, you know, these two particular groups, one's an extreme Christian um, right wing, one's actually an extreme Muslim right wing. They seem to be carrying out similar agendas and, and keep, keep attacking the Lebanese army and the institutions. A bit controversial, George? It's, it's also worthy of noting, um, whilst uh, they've both got more Christian blood on their hands than any other groups on the street, uh, Samir Jaja, whilst he claims to be a leader for a Christian party, is well recognised to be um, the mastermind of, of murdering Christian figures and priests and bombing churches in Lebanon. So, so in some ways, there's, there's more similarities than you think on that one, Labib. Well, maybe, but I'd also say that uh, these extreme terrorist groups, uh, Al-Qaeda affiliated, they usually come from you know, a Sunni Muslim environment. And the moment they radicalize and they start oppressing the people, they will oppress the people that are within you know, their closest proximity, which are other Sunni Muslims. So the biggest victims of these um, Al-Qaeda-affiliated groups are actually Sunni Muslims. And if you see the reception that the Lebanese army got in Arsal when they went out and cleaned out ISIS, the moment that uh, President Aoun stepped into the presidency, when you see the, um, you know, the affection that the Sunni um, citizens are greeting the Lebanese army with now in the north, that, that they're going after these cells, uh, shows you that, you know, there's still hope for Lebanon. Anyway, that's what it shows me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think Lebanon has been one of the only countries uh, to be able to actually uh, push back the terrorists from, from, from possible invasion. Nahd al I think, was a perfect example. Is that correct? Yeah, I believe so, oh, yeah. 2007. Yeah. And, and most recently with the, you know, the uprising of ISIS um, in the Middle East, Lebanon was the, the first country which had an invasion by ISIS to completely free its borders. And that happened uh, within a year or so of, of uh, President On taking the presidency and taking uh, a direct stance to, to ensure that all villages in Lebanon, all citizens of all sects were freed from these parasites. It makes me, makes me think about another topic we could possibly talk about in the future as well. And that is the, re the return of the uh, Syrian refugees. Because it was all in that time, wasn't it? When Syria was under attack, terrorists were every Al-Qaeda was everywhere. Uh, we've got plenty to talk about, boys. And uh, like I said in the first show, being selfish, if things like this keep happening in Lebanon, we're going we're gonna to have a lot of episodes to come. So again, I want to thank you for joining us today. Joey, I want you to add something there. Yeah, just uh, basically from, from the conversation that we've been having today, I'm, I'm thinking what we need in Lebanon is um, the judicial system to step up. We need the judges to step up, to convict the people that they deserve to stay in prison, to release the people that, that need to go and, and are innocent, to fight the corruption. 
to follow up on all these unsolved issues with the Lebanese system. And, and we need them. We need the judges to step up. Maybe that's, um, that's an ask for, for the rebels and the revolution to, to put some pressure on, on, the, on the judicial system and, uh, in order to fight corruption instead of just staying and, and, uh, in the streets and shouting Saura Saura, which has led us nowhere. You'll be standing next to them, Joe, if they did that? Uh, the revolution in the right place is everyone, everyone's been asking for it, but a revolution that is basically being funded by external powers and um, uh, promoting anarchy and has led us nowhere almost a year now, after a year, is not something we want. Lebanon is uh, about to uh, collapse and we need everyone to, to stand behind the current political system, at least for now, to, to push for reforms, to push for uh, economical reforms, and then we can sit down together and see how we can take Lebanon into the next stage. I knew your answer, Joe, because I listened to you in episode one and remember your closing statement. And I um, hope everyone else was listening to episode one. If you haven't, go listen to Joe's voice. Uh, you hear what he has to say. Ed was there as well. We had Robert last week. We got Labib as a sub this week. But I'm going to take your uh, closing statements here, boys, because we are sort of running a little bit over time. Uh, again, I personally want to thank you all for joining me today. Ed, something to add to close off the show? Again, uh, I acknowledge the statement from the president about the civil state as being what, what is needed in Lebanon. And more importantly, it's, we need the people to pursue the truth. Um, mm. It's tough when you've got the US senators throwing $10 billion to the media, to all these organizations to promote lies. But if the people follow the truth, it's quite obvious where the money's gone. Um, it's quite obvious who the terrorists are. And if you can pursue the truth, I think Lebanon's got a lot of hope. Thanks, Ed. Uh, Labib, I want to thank you. A personal one from me. Uh, welcome to the first episode for you. Second episode for the Lebanon Filter podcast. Great debut. I hope you're going to join us again in the future. I'm sure you will. Maybe a closing statement from you as well. Well, thank you uh, to you and your esteemed colleagues, Georgia. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to uh, future engagements. I guess from my perspective, everything that we're seeing in Lebanon now, Lebanon and its people are heading in a new direction. Uh, whether this old corrupt ruling class like it or not, Lebanon is no longer for them. They cannot just keep filling their pockets. They cannot keep stacking the government with their people. They can try as much as they want with the money that they've stolen. They can try the scorched earth policy that they've tried with the president to rather destroy the country rather than see it, you know, reformed. They could try to keep stalling. Sooner or later, it's going to catch up to them. Maybe fortunately for us, they cannot adapt to this new Lebanon and they will be swept aside because maybe there is no place for them in the new Lebanon. I'm not, I don't want to say as provoking as that, but uh, it is quite provocative. I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. And I think people need to really realize that Lebanon is going in a different direction to where the old political ruling class have been running it into the ground. Thank you, Lapid. Uh, Joe, we'll get a closing statement from you. Yes, just quickly. So uh, everyone is looking out. Everyone is looking towards Iran, Saudi Arabia, United States, France, trying to find a solution. But I feel we need to create a local one. We need to create a Lebanese solution. I hope before our third uh, episode that uh, the, the political parties in Lebanon would, would start to formulate that Lebanese solution, would, would look towards the presidential palace in, in Baabda towards President Aoun and, and start really putting Lebanon first 
and keeping Lebanon's best interest at heart before any any country's interest. I think that that will be the entry towards a solution. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Uh, boys, with that, I'm going to quickly wrap up. Thanks again for joining me today. What I want to do say to the listeners, um, it was quite encouraging, actually. Episode one, uh, I mean, we're, you can probably tell from our accents, there's no secret. Uh, we're a bunch of, bunch of friends from Australia doing this, but um, I was very, very pleased to see that it was about 60% audience Australia. And we, had a, we had other people listening from the States, uh, and this is what this is what the apps are not telling me. Yeah, so don't uh, I, I can quote only what they say. But we had the states, we had Germany, we had Belgium, we had Switzerland. Um, I'm missing a couple there, I know. But um, basically, uh, we're hoping for exactly that. We want to reach everyone, especially those of the English speaking background, and hopefully try to clarify what's happening for them. But if you guys that are listening have any questions, please reach out to us. Facebook, Instagram, probably Facebook most popular way, isn't it these days? So we'll go with that one if, it, if that's what's most comfortable. Ask us questions, like tell us what you guys want to hear. And we might try to add a segment either halfway through the show towards the end when we do have a question answer. And I get these uh, gentlemen that are with me today to, uh, to answer your very question. So if it's something you want to know about um, what's happened this week, in the past, why did this happen? Why didn't this happen? Um, please reach out to us, ask us those questions. That's a wrap for episode two, guys. Again, thank you for uh, joining me. I hope everyone enjoyed the Lebanon Filter podcast. Please stick with us and we can't wait to see you all in uh, episode three. Thank you so much. Good night, guys. Thank you.